welcome to Brazed and Confused, Beer School Edition. Buckle up for a few pints of beer education presented by my other half, Zach, who is a certified Cicerone. Essentially, that means he studied the ins and outs of beer styles, history, and more, passed a very, very hard exam, and became a qualified beer expert. First up, he'll share a few grains of wisdom. Beerhead. How is it possible and why should you care? A little bit of foam atop your beer is always desirable. These bubbles slowly exude the beer's aromatics for your nose each time you take a sip. Essentially, these bubbles are created when hydrophobic proteins hitch a ride on CO2 that's dissolving out of the beer. These proteins drive from brewing grains and hops. The head also protects your beer from oxygen spoilage, a process that slowly makes your beverage taste like cardboard. For the first edition of Beer School, we're starting with a classic, the Czech Pilsner. Thanks to this beer, which is the first iteration of a Pilsner, the Pilsner style has, according to beerandbrewing.com, almost become shorthand for beer itself. So crack open a cold one, and let's talk Czech Pilsner. Today we're chatting Czech Pilsner, Woo. and while chatting we're also drinking uh, Czech Pilsner that Zach brought mm-hmm. us from Wild, Wild East. East. I'm primarily doing this because I knew that we would be forced to drink a Czech Pilsner. Yes, um, because he can't drink one otherwise, <laughs> only, only for official business. So here we are drinking, so if you hear us sipping, like right now. tastes really good. Yeah, it's good. Um, okay, let's get into it. So, from what I've learned from Zach, and like the world, I guess, um, Czechs love their beer. Yes, it's a huge beer drinking culture, focused on the Pilsner style. Uh, they have saying that water is for frogs. Uh, <laughs> they say that the second glass of beer praises the first glass and calls for a third. Very wise. And there's a folk song that says, uh, wherever beer is brewed, life is very good. Let us go and drink our fill till the sun comes over the hill. Which I presume also ri- rhymes in their native language. Yeah, but I would hope so, because brewed and good is not a great rhyme. That's true. But I don't want to criticize, you know, something that wasn't written in English, probably. Um, so yeah, now that we're, we've set the scene, we're drinking mm-hmm. Czech Pilsner, um, Hopefully we'll have a second glass that praises the first and calls for a third. All the frogs are drinking water, etc. Now we're going to get into the history. Throughout medieval history, um, we're talking about especially northern and central Europe. People, they're trying to brew beer on an industrial scale so that a lot of people can consume it and so that they can export it to other countries um, and mm-hmm. share their share the wealth of beer. Yeah, it was a, a big business and... Uh, by way of, for example, in 1516, uh, the German Kaiser, I guess, passed a purity law. I guess he'd been the Holy Roman Emperor, actually. Passed a purity law, which said that brewing could only happen in cold months with wa- and only with water, hops, and malt. 
So it's an attempt to prevent spoilage and deter people from uh, putting weird adjuncts and other things in the beer that mm-hmm. would degrade its quality. Mm-hmm. Um, this also, that law meant that lager brewing became the major uh, industry because lager is the only, lager yeast is the only yeast that can brew in cold, a cold environment. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. So, uh, so that's a, so if we, let's zoom to Pilsen, which is a particular city, town in Western Bohemia, which is present day Czech Republic. They were attempting to brew beer, but failing. Um, they may have been trying to brew with, uh, brew, brew an ale, which ferments warmer and can more easily spoil. Mm, okay. So in 1838, the citizens, citizenry collaborated to start a new brewery. They're going to start over. Nice. And that was the Pilsen Brewery, Pilsen, mm-hmm. Pilsen Brewery which is still around. Um, it's the maker of Pilsner Urquell, which is pretty famous around the world. And you can get it um, at beer halls here in New York and other bars and all over the world. So yeah. it still exists. You, that's a, that beer is a direct descendant of the historical beer we're talking about right yeah. now. So the town of Pilsen hired well-known, arch- well-known architect Martin Stelzer, who designed a new brewery with extensive underground lagering space, so okay. a cold underground basement where you could keep the beer. Excellent. Uh, Stelzer also hired a Bavarian brewer named Josef Grohl to brew a brown Bavarian-style lager, mm-hmm. which was then a popular style. Okay. Um, Josef Grohl was a real piece of work. <laughs> he was uh, widely recalled as a very difficult man, and his own father called him, quote, the rudest man in Bavaria. <laughs> uh, That's really wonderful. Yeah. What a good dad. Yeah. Um, Grohl's uh, contract with the Pilsen Brewery expired in 1845 and was not renewed. Um, Grohl later inherited his family brewery in Bavaria, and he died age 74 at the regulars table of his favorite pub. <laughs> Sounds like a gem. Yes. Sounds like a really good guy. Um, it's, so it's likely that Stelzer, uh, the architect, imported a new type of recently devised English coke-fired kiln that mm. could make pale malt. So most malts, which is the barley, had to be kilned or roasted directly over flame, making them brown and p- potentially smoky. So a lot of historical beers, like the brown Bavarian lager they were going to brew, were, would have been dark and potentially smoky. Gotcha. But this coke-fired kiln provided indirect heat that minimally toasted the malt. Okay. Um, Grohl, uh, the, Grohl, the brewer, provided the lager yeast. Mm. Um, additionally, the wort, which is basically the sugary mix that becomes the beer, right. that was brewed... Um, with a complex mashing technique that basically would make sure the beer turned out really crisp and dry okay. without going too much into the, the chemistry of why. Yeah. Um, the wort was also boiled for two and a half hours, which is an exceptionally long period. Normally you only need to boil it for an hour or so. Uh, so that caramelized some of the sugar mm-hmm. and lent the beer its slightly golden color. Mm. So the beer gets its color from the boil, not from the malts themselves initially. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and this town, we're still in Pilsen, mm-hmm. and this town had really soft water, which um, means it was really pure, and uh, it combined with the native hops, right, mm-hmm. to create this sort of gentle bitterness that you think about when you drink a Czech Pilsner, um, and you were telling me that the value of Czech hops, it, they, it was renowned going back to the medieval ages, um, and Holy Roman Emperor Václav, the fourth, the fourth, he prohibited the export of those hop roots on pain of death, right? Um, because they were so renowned and special to that uh, particular area. Region, people. yeah. 
Um, so when you combine all this, the soft water, the fabulous hops, the long boil, um, you got something entirely new, which was a bitter, a bittersweet golden lager with delicate hop aroma, um, which have been described as floral, grassy, and spicy. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the, going back to the barley, Moravian barley, which is what they were using, has low nitrate content. So that helped the, the beer clarify. So you had a really clear golden color uh, that became a smash hit thanks to the widening availability of glassware. Interesting. Okay, so glassware is, is fascinating to me in beer because there are like tons of different types of glasses. And um, even though I consider you a beer snob, we don't have all mm-hmm. those glasses. So tell me about like what's the... What's the go-to glass for a Pilsner, and does it really matter if you... Can you drink a Pilsner out of another glass and still, like, appreciate it? Yeah, so actually there are a lot of different types of glassware that are appropriate for Pilsners, Mm -hmm. but from what I can tell, the traditional or customary glassware for a Czech Pilsner specifically is just a big glass mug. And the mug may have some sort of crests or faceting that reinforces the glass, but also plays with the light passing through the beer. Okay. So there, there are like bigger, taller, fluted Pilsner glasses. Those were perhaps a later development. In, the, in my mind, those are better for German Pilsners. Mm. Okay. Why, why the difference? Like, why do you think those are better for German? And, and I think uh, just historically, I mean, you could definitely pour a Czech Pilsner in there and it'll taste great. Mm-hmm. But those, the fluted Pilsner was a later development. So if you want to drink it like the Czech drink it, or would have drunk it back then, right. just get a big old glass mug. Yeah. And those are like the ones that if you see, actually, I'm thinking of the ones that you see at like Oktoberfest, which is German, so that Yeah, they feels... also drink out of big okay. glass mugs. Great. So those big glass mugs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and just a little side note, historically, even up to the 1990s, Pilsner Urquell was lagered in large wooden vessels that were lined with pitch oil, basically. This is because because the woody, oaky flavors of the barrel would mm-hmm. seep into the beer, and microorganisms, microorganisms live in the wood that could contaminate the beer. Oh. So these, when you see lager barrels, they actually were lined with oil on the inside. And I've heard that this lent the beer some kind of like pleasant, oily mouthfeel, which okay. is probably lacking from beer these days. Yeah, so the, the pitch helped to stop the microorganisms right. from contaminating it, and then gave it a good mouthfeel. Exactly. Uh, interesting. So uh, now, of course, we know that Czech Pilsners aren't just... Czech Pilsner is a, a type of Pilsner. There are a ton of other ones. Um, you were just noting, talking about German ones. Um, the style became really popular and sort of imitated and... and um, reproduced. Reproduced, mm-hmm. yeah, thanks. Uh, through the West, through the U.S., um, but the, there's something special and unique about the original Czech formula, which is golden in color, has that gentle bitterness, has that kind of nice mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So the style became wildly popular throughout Europe and was imitated all over the world. So pretty much any Pilsner you have now is a descendant of the Czech Pils in some mm-hmm. form or another. Uh, the German, traditional German version, the Germans copied the style, mm-hmm. but those are paler, so they didn't really boil them as long and have a sharper bitterness because they were using different water. Yeah. And they also have a more floral hop aroma because the hops in Germany are different. Right. What's like, do you know a, offhand a German Pilsner? Like Bitburger, Bitburger. Is, a, is a classic example gotcha. or anything okay. from Munich. Yeah. Okay. And
And then in the 19th century, there were the American versions, which are now kind of like the America beers, like Budweiser, uh, Schlitz, no longer America beer, but <laughs> was once a beer. I don't think it still exists. Um, Coors, beers like that, um, which used American hops and different adjuncts. They had corn and rice in them. Um, what were those, were those added, like additions, the corn and the rice, or were they replacing something that they would use in a Czech Pilsner? Uh, well, they were additions. It's because the great, the barley in, in the new world mm-hmm. was different from the barley in Europe and it produced, um, a beer that had more haze. It has gotcha. th- that American barley has more pr- protein, which produces yeah. haze. Okay. So to get that style, they had to dilute it a little bit. Okay. And corn and rice have the carbohydrates and starches that can replace yeah. the, the barley, but they do, don't provide it. There's no protein, protein in them, mm, so the beer would remain clear. But okay. it did change the flavor. Gotcha. And, uh, oh yeah, so a uh, side note, speaking of Germany, after some uh, legal wrangling in the 19th century, the German brewers agreed to call their pilsners just pils, P-I-L-S, as pilsners denoted the town of Pilsen, so it's kind of a misrepresentation mm. to call a beer a Pilsner if it's right. not from Pilsen. So right. that's something that doesn't really matter here in America, but in Germany, obviously, Interesting. Important. Do you think, um, some speculation, maybe you know specifically, but like Mama's Little Yellow Pils, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite Pilsners, mm-hmm. is called a Pils. Does that mean it's after the German style, or that's just like they just wanted to call it? No, actually, Mama's Little Yellow Pills is after the Czech style. Mm. I think a lot of this 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 is like pretty nuanced stuff that is lost in translation, totally. and ninety nine point nine nine percent of people don't care about, and <laughs> rightfully so. This is this is like we're we're way back in time. Yeah. Um, talking about stuff that is not of particular relevance. Yeah. Unless you are really into beer. Great, which you are. Which I am. Yes. Um, okay, so what's your favorite? Czech Pilsner, if you have one. Hmm, that's very difficult. I think, uh, you know, for authenticity, you just have to have the Pilsner Urkel. Mm-hmm. There are other uh, Czech beers, um, like Czech Var, which also, also produce uh, quality representations of the style. Okay. But uh, Czech Pilsner, because of the long boil um, and the hops required, it really is something that is like specific to a region. So it's like saying, um, it's like being a huge fan of champagne and just being, f- and saying your favorite is actually a Prosecco. Like you, mm. this is a particular, from a yeah. particular region, they do it a very traditional way. You, for the genuine product, you have to get something from there. Very few American brewers, yeah. if any, do it the exact correct way. Right. Even the one we're drinking right now, I just realized, is a Czech-style Pilsner. Exactly. It's not a Czech Pilsner, because... I will say, there's one brewery, uh, there's one brewery, I'm forgetting, that, that does it, that goes to the pains to do it in the exact way. Mm-hmm. There's another one in uh, Brooklyn called Folksbeer, yep. that also does a pretty damn good version of a Czech, of a Czech and German Pilsner. So. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and last question... Because this is a food podcast, and now we're talking about drinks. What should you eat with while you're drinking a Czech Pilsner? Anything you would like find in uh, Eastern Europe or like the German beer hall. So sauerkraut, pretzels, bratwurst, like anything specific to that region. Mm-hmm. Nothing too, nothing too spicy. Nothing too crazy. Um, like you can like with mustard is good, but yeah. it's not something I would pair with hot sauce or yeah. wings necessarily. Okay. Great. Well, 
thank you for all this fascinating information. Mm -hmm. Thank you for all this fascinating information. Prost. Cheers. Thank you to Zach, mostly for bringing a Czech-style pilsner to our lo-fi recording session. Thank you to Joseph Grohl's dad for calling his son the rudest man in Bavaria. And thank you to the town of Pilsen for overcoming failure to produce the now ubiquitous and refreshing Pilsner.